educational journey in my life has been uh, interesting, I think. It's been a bit of an exercise in increasing complexity and difficulty. When I got to high school, I was really hoping just to stick in the basic classes so that I wouldn't have to do much homework, because I don't like homework. I thought if I just stay, stayed there, pretty easy peasy, get through this you know, high school thing, get my diploma, I'm out of there. Well, some people who loved me and were pushing me said, no, you need to, you need to raise, raise it up a notch. So that ended up getting me into AP classes, which were way harder, and it meant I had more homework. Didn't love that. When I got to college, the bar was raised even more on me because the scale shifted for an A. In high school, it was like 92 and above. I went to McMinnville High School, not too far from here. Then it was 92 and above of an A. So you got to 92 and you're good. When I got to college, it was 94. So once again, the bar was sort of raised on me and I had to, to, to get there. I ended up in, in around the year 2000, 2001, I, I was going to Vanderbilt University in their engineering department and it was really going there to get a Microsoft Certified Systems Engineer certification. I don't even know if they still do those anymore. They call that a legacy thing, but I was in IT work. I was a computer guy, your company's computer guy. That was, that's what I did. And, um, and that was the first time I ever took what's called an adaptive test. Have you heard of these things? where depending on how you answer the question, the next one will be different. Like your current question, how you answer it, will determine in like the next five or 10 questions you got. So if you have an area that you weren't completely sure on, you were like hitting the multiple choice and going, I hope that's the right one, then you'd get like 10 more questions hitting that one. It is, so some of you are familiar with those adaptive tests. I think that was early on in those tests, so they, they're probably much harder now. But once again, the bar got raised. Then I wanted, to get a, uh, I wanted to get a master's degree a few years ago, and uh, I had forgotten, it had been a while since I'd been in school, since I got my undergrad degree, and I, I had to read a lot more than I remembered, and I had to write a lot more. If, you've, if some of you have gotten a master's degree or, or beyond, you know that's, it's increasing writing and kind of parsing through lots of, lots of literature and then trying to write it. So over and over, I felt like with at least my education, I've had to kind of raise the bar every single time. It's like increased expectations. And maybe you've had similar experiences in your life, or maybe you've seen where there are moments where you kind of have to, in life, raise the bar a little bit. That, that what worked when you were younger doesn't cut it anymore. And you think about it, maybe your, your first job where you actually had to look professional. Do you remember that? You're, you, you had to actually kind of you know, show up on time. I had a boss that used to say, if you're, if you're not 15 minutes early, Ben, you're late. That was what was, you know, so that, that first, you realize you've got to raise the bar a little bit. Some of you are blessed to be parents or grandparents. That kiddo shows up and you've got to raise the bar in a lot of ways in your life. Now you have someone dependent on you that, that you've got to keep alive. So you've got to raise the bar. Life is kind of these moments where, in many ways, we've got to raise the bar. We've got to raise our game. We've got to be a little bit more, more on it. You know, when you get married, some of you that are blessed to be married, I mean, you realize you've got to raise the game as a spouse. Someone, someone is, is counting on you. We are going to be talking about raising the bar today because Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, the, the message from the mountain, is going to raise the bar a little bit on what is even considered righteous. 
And these are some shocking statements that we're going to be looking at. So if you have a Bible or a device handy, I do encourage you to bring that Bible with you and open it up. Let me hear the pages turning. Um, sometimes, I don't know if you're, you're like me, but I get tired of reading on screens. Anybody ever have that moment where you just you can't look at another screen anymore? So old school, I'll be in Matthew chapter 5. This is my uh, English Standard Version. Love to, to read it from the page. But find that. We're going to look at some shocking words. And sometimes in life, and even with what we're going to hear from Jesus, this call to raise the bar might make us a little worried that we can't quite measure, measure up to that. And so we're going to be talking a lot about that. Jesus will give us some areas in life and the law where we might need to consider raising the game. I'm glad you're here with us today. This is kind of a different Sunday for us. Nice to not feel so rushed in the morning. This felt really good to kind of back it off an hour or two and adjust slowly. Sunday is a chance to hit reset. So let's hit the reset button. I'm going to count to three. Let's take a deep breath. One, two, three, deep breath. Here we go. Hold it. Let it out. We gather like this, like Christ followers all over the globe. We are one big dysfunctional family of faith. You, You saw it coming. We, 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 we gather on Sundays because that was the day the tomb was empty and it changed human history forever. And for many of us, our lives have never been the same since Jesus came into our life. And so we raise his name up this morning. Would you, would you pray with me? Father, we come before you. We thank you for your love, faithfulness, your mercies that are new every morning. Speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit with these pages, these words, these, these moments where we can raise the bar in our life and see uh, you do great things. Father, empowered by your Holy Spirit, we would see your, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. So Lord, speak now. We, your servants, are listening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's... Uh... Let's get into chapter, a little bit more into chapter 5. We started chapter 5 with those blessed be statements, or blessed be, depending on how you say the word. Did anybody go home and have debates on whether it's blessed or blessed? Anybody do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay, we'll keep, keep going that, that way. But we looked at those statements, and uh, remember, this is, was a radical way to start a sermon. Jesus is taking really things upside down. The, those who we, we would think would not be considered blessed are blessed. Those who are mourning, those, are spirit, those, those who are spiritually bankrupt, those who are, are, are you know, the least of these, Jesus says the kingdom is advancing for those people, the people that you wouldn't normally think would be blessed. So we were talking about this sort of upside down kingdom. And in the next several sections of this message from the mountain, Jesus is going to kind of unpack what this new kingdom ways are, and it's going to be a little different than what they expected. So let's kick it off in verse 17, and then we'll get kind of a, uh, an overview, because it's a, quite a bit of text in the passage from, from, from what we're going to start with. We're gonna, not going to read it all word for word. I encourage you to read that this week, but uh, we're going to talk it over. So let's start with verse 17 of chapter 5 of Matthew. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them 
and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So that's a big statement. And that last line might have made you uncomfortable. Just hang on. But this couple of sentences here, 17 through 20, are, are sort of the, 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 the interpretive lens by which to read everything else. That Jesus is, in a sense, raising the bar of what it means to be a child of God, to be in the kingdom, to, 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 to follow and be righteous. And so he's, he's giving us this from the very beginning. First of all, right, the kingdom is advancing on those you wouldn't think it would be advancing on. The blessed ones are not always the ones that the world thinks are blessed. And now he's going to say, unless your righteousness exceeds that of even the best religious teachers you've heard, you have no entrance into the kingdom of heaven. So it should kind of give us a pregnant pause there for a second going, well, wah, wait a minute, you just said the kingdom was advancing to those least likely. And now you're saying the bar is so high that we got to be better than even the best religious teachers, the best rabbis that we've heard. So it should at least unsettle you a little bit, like it probably did those first hearers of this sermon. Jesus is basically saying that uh, he's come to fulfill all righteousness. And for any good Jewish uh, boy and girl there in the audience, they would have been thinking, you mean all 600 and some laws of the Torah and the writings and, and all the other things that the rabbis have added on all the years? They're thinking he's going to fulfill all of that? And then he says, unless you hears your righteousness exceeds that of the religious leaders. You're, you're not going to have entrance into the kingdom. Jesus has come to basically fulfill everything of the first covenant. All of that, going all the way back to you know, Adam and Eve. you got Noah, you got Abraham especially, that first covenant. You're going to be a blessing to all nations. He said, I'm coming to fulfill all of that. So that, that's a lot. Especially the religious leaders in the audience that day. I'm, I'm wondering if they're thinking... This guy is claiming to fulfill all of this? Hmm. All of those. And Jesus is going to raise it even farther. Not only is he going to fulfill them, but he's going to show us in the next several paragraphs that he's, he's not just going to fulfill them from a legal perspective or fulfill them just for what people can see, like your behavior. He's going to fulfill them all the way down to the depths of the heart, the motives, the desires. He's going to go that far. So that, that sets the tone for the rest of these paragraphs. It's, it's, our, it's our interpretive lens. It's like this, th those are the glasses by which we read the rest of the text. So Jesus came to fulfill it all, and he's saying that we also are going to be operating in that mode of fulfilling all. That would have been pretty shocking. And then he goes on to show what this exceeding righteousness looks like as the bar is raised. So if you have your Bible still handy, you'll notice there's several paragraphs, and maybe your, your version has headings. Uh, these weren't in the original. <laughs> Spoiler alert. But they can be helpful. So you have uh, paragraphs here. And, and yours might say, I think mine says, uh, you know, Christ came to fulfill the law. That was that first paragraph. But then he begins to go through different interpersonal areas. The first one being anger and murder and hate. And he's going to talk about, hey, when you're 
learning these new kingdom ways, it's not just about you pulling the trigger. It's also about what you're feeling about that person you want to kill. What's going on in here? Are you, in a sense, pulling the trigger in your heart on them? Taking them down, devaluing their life. And he, and he starts with this phrase, you have heard it said. And he'll do this several times. What does that mean, you have heard it said? Well, likely, a few of these folks in the crowd have been to synagogue a few times and they've heard the religious teachers give their interpretation of the law. And so Jesus is acknowledging that, you have heard it said, but what's, what's he say next? But I'm going to tell you something different here. You have heard it said, but I say. So in the first bit of that first paragraph, right, verse 21, you've heard it said in the days of old that you should not murder. Everybody knows you can't murder somebody. That's a, it's not an option. We don't do that around here. But, and so, you know, people are like, oh, I've never murdered anybody. I'm good. But then what does he do? He takes it up a notch. He's, he's raising the bar on all kinds of things. But I say that anyone who is even angry with his brother will be liable for judgment. So now beyond the externals, well, I never shot anybody. Now it's like, but I'd really like to get that guy out of here. Jesus is now addressing what's going on in here. This is a radical shift. Nothing like this has ever been taught. Jesus is taking the bar, and the people probably already thought the bar was high, right? 613, are you keeping track? The bar was already, I think, pretty high. Now Jesus is saying, well, actually, what you're thinking about that person that you just didn't pull the trigger on is important. God is seeing something, your motivation, what's going on, your desire. These are, this is radical. So now he's talking about don't even just hate someone in here. Don't, don't even start calling them names. Have you called anybody a name this week? Not out loud. That, that drive to work? Or, uh, I don't know, that, that neighbor up at 5 a.m. mowing his lawn? Nobody should be mowing their lawn, by the way. It's too early, okay? It's too early. Let's just say it right now. But have you said some things in your heart? These are things that the Lord can see, by the way. So you see what I mean? This is just the first one. He's, he's raising the bar on even what's motivating our heart. What are you actually thinking about somebody? Oh. And in fact, that paragraph even talks about, like, don't devalue someone that you have an argument with and, like, try to run them to court or whatever. Actually, work on reconciliation. I, I wonder if some folks in that crowd... We're, we're on their way to court. And here's Jesus saying, well, can you work it out? Do you care enough about the individual that you would, would work to reconcile? In fact, he said, don't even worship unless you work this out. <laughs> Do you see what's going on here? It's like, you're, I don't even, he's like, I don't even want you to go to the worship gathering and if you've got something going on with somebody. You need, let's, let's reconcile that. Write that letter. Make that phone call. This is... This is getting into your business here. It's not just this external thing because people can shut up, well, I've never murdered anybody, so I'm good. That's, that's just the first paragraph. So already I'm guessing people are like, either they're backing away 
where they're like, you know, look at the time. I got you know, I to I get to church and have soup afterward. I can't listen to this guy. He's raising the bar. Okay, what's next? He, he covers anger, reconciling. Now, uh, this next one uh, is, is taking up even more. And I'm guessing this is getting into your business too. Now we have, we have marriage and fidelity. And so Jesus says, well, and here's that phrase again, right? You have what? You've heard it said, right? That uh, you shouldn't commit adultery. You shouldn't jump into bed with someone you're not married to. And like the crowd's like, yeah, everybody knows that. I've never done that. I've never crossed that line. We're good. So we're good. You have heard that said, Jesus. Uh, but, but remember, here's his, here's his bar-raising efforts. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman, and if you're a woman, look at a man, okay, both sides of that coin, you look with, with lustful intent. He's already committed adultery with her in his heart. Whew. Raise the bar even more. So it's, it's, it's what's going on in here. What's happening? Usually, we get into trouble and it starts here. You know, in the ancient way of looking at things, the heart was kind of like the, kind of your inner person, if you will. It's not just the, the thing beating and pumping your blood. It's kind of your, your inner being. And Jesus is saying that matters to God. And take it seriously. So I'm guessing the audience is feeling a little more uncomfortable because now Jesus says, it's not just that you didn't jump into bed or whatever with whoever that was. Now, are, are, are you consumed by thinking you, you might do that? Now, see, this is getting into our business here. We said last week, right, as we get into these teachings, we may be tempted to run away. These are hard statements. But Jesus is saying, hey, what your, inner, your inner life matters. And you've you got to start asking the question, is my inner life matching my outer life? Are they in sync? All right, so he said, yeah, you've heard it said, but I say. And, and then he goes to verse 29, one of the harder things Jesus said. I read a book a few years ago called uh, Things I Wish Jesus Never Said. And this is a hard statement in here. When he's talking about your inner life, even you know, using someone in a sexual manner in your heart, he's going to say, take that seriously. Uh, and he's going to use this metaphor of like cutting stuff out, cutting stuff off. Like, you know, run from it, flee from it. It's, it matters. What you think about matters. I mean, right? So we're only two paragraphs into this thing, right? And the, and the bar has been raised. Are, you, are you, you harboring hate in your heart? Not just not pulling the trigger. Are you harboring this using someone else sexually in your, in your heart? Is that happening? Not just that you didn't jump into bed. These are heavy, heavy things. <laughs> I, I had a Bible college professor Say it this way. Ben, you gotta, you got to quit your stinking thinking. <laughs> Stuck with me all these years. He's long passed away, but it still sticks in my head. <laughs> and he would have a finger, too. I forgot about that, Andrew. <laughs> he had this crooked finger. The same one to say, you be in church Sunday. This doesn't count, this Bible college stuff. you got to be in church on Sunday. It's amazing how these things stick with you. Ben, cut out your stinking thinking. So Jesus is, okay, let's use my professor's words. Jesus is saying, hey, quit your th stinking thinking. 
What are you thinking about that other person? Do you either want to demean them and murder them in your heart, or are you, are you want to use them sexually? These, are, these matter. And so Jesus will use these big, you know, very, very stark statements of cut it out, cut it out. Uh, what, what is causing you, to, what, what's, what's taking you down that road? We, we would say in addiction recovery, right, what are those triggers? So get those out. Run from it. Shut it off. Get accountability. These are things. Get some help. Jesus says, take it seriously. I don't know what the crowd is thinking right now because he just covered two pretty big things. And I'm guessing that, you know, some people are, yeah, yeah, I think they're like, okay, it's good. I've heard enough. But he's not done yet. So he, he talks, then he, then he takes it up a notch about marriage. And he talks about divorce because in that day and age, uh, you know, a, a, a Jewish man could, could write a certificate of divorce and divorce his wife for from what some of the, the preliminary things I've read, they could almost do that for, for trivial things. Like if the, the wife didn't cook the food just right, well, that could be grounds. I mean, it had gotten a little bit uh, silly that way, and, and, and that didn't offer a whole lot of protection for women. A horrible thing. Very patriarchal society. That would have been pretty scary if you're worried about burning supper, and that might just get you ousted. That Crazy. So, so Jesus, probably knowing all this, says, hey, you has also said that whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Here we go. But I say to everyone, or uh, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her uh, commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now there's a lot to unpack there, but I, I want not to move too far from this idea of raising the bar that marital fidelity mattered. In fact, other parts of the New Testament will talk about protecting the marriage bed and protecting that, that, that marriage is a beautiful thing in our world. Now, some of us have, yeah, I grew up with, with my parents had, had divorce. Divorce is an issue in our, in our culture, and many of us have had to, to, to see the aftermath of, of how horrible that is when two break apart. I mean, it's, nobody wants that. I don't think they get married thinking they want to ever do that. And Jesus wants us to raise the bar on that, that, that it's, it's important enough to protect it. And so don't take it trivial in a trivial manner. Don't just toss it away because you legally can. Now, I realize there's a lot to that. Uh, you know, we're, we're in an age where th- there is, uh, you know, marital spouse abuse. There's all of those things, and th- th- there's a lot of nuance to that. And, and I want to be sensitive to those issues. And some of the people in this room ha- have gotten divorced and remarried, and they've, they've now been remarried way, way longer than their first marriage. And, and so these are hurts and realities. I just want to confront those realities. But Jesus does say, hey, we want to be fans of marriage, and so don't just take the easy way out sometimes. Um, does that make sense? I, I know it's a, it's a very sensitive topic in our world, but um, Jesus is raising the bar. And then he's going to go right into what you say. Now, <laughs> I, f- I feel like this is a big one too. I mean, I know we, we talked about murder. I mean, <laughs> That's a big thing. Adultery and lust, those are big things. But I feel like when he gets to verse 33, like honesty, what you say, I feel like that's pretty important too. What are you saying? Are you honest? Do you have to qualify your answers sometimes rather than just say it, say the truth? Jesus speaks of oaths and, and making promises. And, and again, he said, you, you've heard it said, but I say to you, 
don't take an oath at all. I promise. I double dog promise. Whatever it is. I, a pinky promise. All those things that we say, some of those are silly, but be honest. Just say yes or no. And this is hard for us to do in an age of social media and all those different things where people are able to post whatever in their, in their PJs and, and, and you know, come at different trolls and all that sort of thing. Having, having speech that's encouraging and honest is a gem. And Jesus is saying, let's, let's aim for yes and no, not flower something up, uh, which often leads to yeah, dishonesty and not saying, not saying what you mean. Jesus raises the bar. And, and when we get to verse 48, <laughs> what did this come across to the crowd? Look at verse 48. You therefore... And this is after him talking through all these paragraphs of raising the bar, right? What's going on in here matters. What you say matters. We didn't talk about retaliation, but the idea that you would choose not to take revenge when you could take revenge. Uh, You could choose a different way. You could choose to be kind when you probably could justify being angry. Uh, These are radical, that, that you would ever consider being gentle, being kind when you could Take revenge. Jesus is saying, you know, that's where the whole turn the other cheek phrase comes in. And again, so much you could unpack in that. But he gets to that verse right after he's saying you got to love your enemies. I mean, he just keeps moving it up. <laughs> you gotta, and there's probably some Roman soldiers hanging around listening too. And I'm guessing Jesus is looking at them and the religious leaders and the Jewish folks and the day laborers and saying, Love your enemies. They would have saw the Roman, Roman occupying army is, is, kind of like a, is an enemy, not kind of. And Jesus is probably looking at them and saying, love your enemies. Not, probably wasn't pointing. Or with the crooked finger pointing. But. <laughs> love your enemies. Then he says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, I'm guessing that everybody in the audience at, at that point is saying, how is that going to work? How are we going to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. That's, that's impossible, Jesus. That can't be done. And, and Jesus isn't finished either. You get into chapter 6 and he starts talking about even, even your worship stuff, your, your faith practice, giving, and prayer. Like, don't be doing that for uh, pats on the back and kudos from your neighbors and uh, likes on Facebook. Don't, don't be doing those things so he doesn't just raise the bar on like interpersonal relationships and honesty and you know, treating people uh, well and what's going on in here. He raises the bar even on our worship. Like when we're giving, don't call a bunch of attention to it. This is not about a show. This is radically different than what they've heard before. What were those Jewish leaders thinking? I mean, he keeps saying that phrase, right? You, what is it? You, you've heard it said... But I say, I'm guessing that the religious leaders that are there, they might have just had a lesson on one of these back at the synagogue, and they've got to be listening very intently here that this is sounding very, very rabbi-like. He is actually interpreting the law. But what they don't realize is that this is God. So when he's interpreting and commenting on the law, it's like God commentary. How awesome is that? I mean, we study for 
preaching and stuff, and we use these tools called commentaries. If you have a study Bible, the stuff below the line, that's where they try to explain the text, that's, that's commentary. In the audience, you're listening to God give the commentary. And, and I just wonder what those religious leaders were thinking. This is radical. When you get to the end, this is a spoiler alert, when you get to the end of Matthew 7, the people are just stunned. Look at you can find it. They are stunned. They've never heard anything like this. That the heart and my thinking matters as much as my external behavior. That God is interested in my, my whole person being in sync. When he says, holy as I am holy, my whole being. What I do with my extremities and what happens here inside. It all matters to God. This is a teaching that stunned the crowd. Jesus is giving the new way to be human. This is the ways of the kingdom. And here's the king who's bringing this gospel good news of a new kingdom, a new kingdom of heaven is near. Repent, make a choice, and here's how it works. I, I got I to believe it. And when I first started hearing some of this, I remember as a teenager, I became a Christian around 15, that God cared about what I was thinking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it could be a bit jarring, a bit shocking, kind of like the first time Jackie and I, my wife Jackie and I were in New Zealand and we had to learn to drive on the wrong side of the road. I call it the wrong side of the road. And, uh, and, and the first time I drove a stick shift in the UK where the the controls were on my left side. Very disorienting. And I think this teaching would have come across exactly like that. This is way different than they'd ever heard before. See, God's intention all along with his people wasn't just to spout out a bunch of rules and guidelines and, and stuff you got to do. He wanted a people that were radically changed. In dealing with the sin issue, he wanted his people to have a new heart new attitudes, new priorities. I mean, this is what the ancient prophets were, were, were anticipating. That even some of their language from the, those ancient Israel prophets were like, God's going to give you a new heart. Not a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh. It's going to be here. Your motives. And the, and, the, and the people were just stunned to hear all of this. Probably the religious leaders as well. And this is what it means to be born again. A new heart a new way to be human. This matters now. Ugh. Again, can I say it again? It's raising the bar. You're a pin drop in here right now. But you stunned. The crowds were stunned. And this is exactly what it means when Jesus says your righteousness needs to exceed. Because it's not just about the externals, it's about the internals. And you still might be thinking, well, how, Ben? How does this work? And the crowds are probably asking the same thing. Well, it only happens because God gives you a new heart. It's a gift of God. The writer, Paul of of Ephesians, will say, this is not something you earned. It's a free gift of God. Salvation by faith. It's a gift. That's the only way we get a new heart. We get get this new heart, and and that that is a gift from God, and, and, and that allows us this exceeding righteousness that means our desires, our ambitions, our attitudes, all matter. The bottom line is, for folks call, calling themselves Christ followers, we have a new way to be human. How does that look? How is that looking in your life? Your inner motivation, how you see people, do you, do you value people?
Are you, are you taking them down in your heart? The new way to be human, the Christ followers, people that say they love Jesus, we are walking with a renewed, renovated heart. A brand new way to be human. How does this look like? Well, let me ask you some questions. This is for you. You don't need to answer them out loud or point, but uh, does your inner life match your outer life? Is your heart motivation in line with your external persona? So here's some questions I want to ask you. Who have I murdered or used in my thinking this week? It's weird to put it that way, isn't it? Who have I murdered or used this week in my heart of hearts, in my thinking? How about this one? Who am I not forgiving? Is there some reconciliation that needs to happen? Who are you not forgiving? You remember, forgiveness is really kind of on, on us. You can't, you can't predict or control what someone else is going to do with that. But it's for you. Who am I not forgiving? How sick are my motivations? You're like, why did I come to church today? <laughs> but I mean, these are questions. We've got to ask this. What's our motivation? What are, how sick are my motivations? Where have I knowingly been dishonest? We know we do it. You call it white lies all you want. We have degrees of honesty. Where have I been knowingly dishonest? Who am I ready to get my revenge on with? Who do I want to get revenge on? And let me ask you a couple more. Um, How have I honored the Lord in prayer and generosity that brings no attention to myself? Have you done that this week? Maybe this next week is the start of a new week. You can honor the Lord in prayer and generosity in a way that no one else knows, no one else sees. And the bottom line is, are you and I allowing the Holy Spirit to do this heart renovation work, this new heart? Jesus would say, take up your cross daily and follow me. Every day it's a decision to crucify the old and to live in the new. Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to deal with those areas that nobody sees? The, the lust and the envy and the anger and the dishonesty. Jesus raises the bar of righteousness. And uh, the only way to have that is a new heart. And that's to live surrendered to Jesus completely. What's the cure for recurring sin? Always and only trusting in Jesus. So, my point today. Allow Jesus to renovate your heart. Allow Jesus to renovate your heart. Welcome his heart renovation. Just imagine a people who are living with that renovated heart. That we would choose not not to go the way of, say, violence or vengeance, but we would choose to be gentle, be kind, be forgiving, when we could choose the opposite. Imagine God allowing uh, us to think what is true and noble and pure and upright. Yielded that. That's, that's Philippians chapter 4. A people loving the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let's pray. Father, you're good and powerful and mighty. We thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge that it brings us to raise the bar and to, to, to seek after you to renovate our heart daily. 
That, that, Father, you'd be continually working on our heart and that we would yield every area to you, even the areas that people don't see. That, Father, it wouldn't just be about externals and legalities, but what's going on in our hearts. So, Father, we all surrender now. Our hearts fully surrender to you. Would, you. would you do what only you can do by the power of your Holy Spirit to renovate our hearts? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.